Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Welcome back to another edition of the Internet's Most Dangerous Tottenham Hotspur Podcast. It's Wheeler Dealer Radio. We're back from our own international break, and we're ready to talk about a game against Luton. I think it was Luton, right, guys? Luton? Yeah, Luton. We definitely remember this game and are ready to have a conversation about it. But first, don't forget to leave us five stars on iTunes and Spotify, because we definitely deserve it for barely remembering what game we played last. Uh, and also follow us on Twitter at WDR Podcast. That's WDR as in Wheeler Dealer Radio. Now that's out of the way, let me introduce my fabulous co-host. First up, he's been on international duty for the Republic of Stankonia. It's Ben Daniels. Ben, how was your international break, Ben? Uh, it's been good. Thank you for really underselling what's about to happen to uh, any listeners out there. <laughs> I try. I try. And then next up, he hasn't been called up by Uruguay or Ecuador, but he has been taking on what Colombia has to offer. It's Brian Ashlock. Brian, are you going to be ready for club duty with Miami in a few days? Yeah, I'm ready. I am zooted to the moon, so let's <laughs> roll. Well, I can't think of a better way to start than that. Uh, I think this was a pretty novel international break in that not only did we go into it undefeated, we went in at the top of the table. I don't know what's more noteworthy, actually, the fact that Spurs are top of the table going into this international break or the fact that we went into, like, what, our second international break of the season not feeling completely fucking miserable about our team. Uh, ben, are even you excited about how Spurs are doing this year? No. I'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop. It's all going to unravel. We've got Basuma suspended. Nothing good is going to ever happen again. We've only played the bottom of the table. Um, am I doing this right? Yes, correct. <laughs> yes, the pendulum is all God is in his heaven and all is right in the world. <laughs> yeah, I, I lack object permanence. It's been a week and a half since I watched this play. As far as I'm concerned, it's back just, to the old Spurs. You just assume Conte took control while we were all <laughs> watching. Yeah. Until I see Postacoglu in the dugout, I won't believe he's real. <laughs> yeah, it's really strange, actually. Uh, I mean, we've talked about it a million times this year, but I think these international breaks really drive it home, just how much fun. I mean, because you look back last year, I think I think we're slightly better than we where we were in terms of points last year. Obviously, we're better in the table, but like, I think it wasn't until February that our sort of table situation collapsed, but this feels obviously entirely different than it did a year ago. Yeah, I mean, I think we were, you know, top four or, you know, within touching distance of the top four right up until kind of the, the last couple of games before the World Cup. I think we were third when, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, I think we were third when the Southampton match happened. Uh, like I mean, going we're not going to look that up, but well, yeah, I'm, sure. of course not, but. Um, but, you know, like, yeah, the. This is Vibes FC now, and the vibes are good now. And so, uh, yeah, it has been a unique international break where, you know, we, we before we just wanted the break from the tedium of our existence as Tottenham Hotspur fans. But now when things are going well, we're just like, no, please stay away because this somebody could get injured or why won't Sun have international itis or, you know, something. But uh, 
Um, we seem to have gotten out of this one kind of uh, unscathed. Oh, that's famous last words. Thanks, Brian. Yeah, right. Sorry. <laughs> I think everybody's played their games, right? There's no more games tomorrow. I don't know. Didn't Sun uh, like limp off a little bit today? And he then... always limps off. He that's his thing, off. though, right? <laughs> he's just a limpy kind of guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's humble. That's, that's part of his humility. He wants to make the other team feel good. Yeah. What a mensch. What a guess. Um, but yeah, it's it's nice to be looking forward to Tottenham again. I, we've said it before. Hopefully we'll say it again. Uh, it's just nice to be looking forward to Spurs. But let's look backwards in what I would deem a seamless transition uh, to our <laughs> match against Luton. This was uh, an interesting, more interesting match than I think it appears at first blush. Um, let's. So I, I think we'll talk about this in a few phases of this match, but... If there's one thing that I want that I took out this sort of match as a whole is that I feel like we've had a lot of managers or you hear a lot of managers, not just at Spurs, but they talk about, you know, I want to play front foot football. We want to play attacking football. We have our principles. We're committed to them. And I mean, that's true some of the time. I think Ange Postacoglu, certainly at Spurs, might be the first manager who is clearly living his truth all the time. I mean... This match from front to back with 10 men for a, an entire half of the match. I mean, this was all gas, no break. And I think you saw what it could be in the first 10 minutes where I, I think, you know, I mean, Spurs looked like a team that was top of the table. They looked incredible. I know it's Luton, who is not very good, but those first 10 minutes were wild. And it's frankly a credit to Richarlson that we were not up 3-0 in those first 10 minutes. But I mean, it was just incredible the way we just absolutely took it to him for that opening stretch of the match. Yeah. I mean, just the number of chances and the, the level of quality of them was such that you're like, Oh, we've got this. Um, But then after you miss one or really after you miss that second one, you're like, Oh man, are we going to get footballed by Luton today? And then the red card happens and, you know, but, um, but yeah, I think we've shown that we, when we can dominate possession, we have the ability to create these good chances against these teams that are worse than us. And you know, but that hasn't always been true this year. I mean, I, I mean, I think uh, the the first the Brentford match aside, I feel like Sheffield we've done, wasn't. I mean, we didn't. We were good. We didn't batter them like this. Yeah. Like last two minutes. Of Sheffield, I would also argue, are like a marginally more talented team. Um, you know, so I, I just think like I I don't think they are. And also we battered Sheffield like it wasn't out of the gates. It took us like yeah. 10 minutes to You're get right. into our I groove. Mean, but like, yes, this was, I think, easily the best we looked from the whistle. We just went out there and just started clobbering Luton in a way that was. You know, yes, accounting for quality of opposition, certainly they're a very bad team. Um, but that was like the best football I think we've seen this side put together. It was, you know, very quick passing, very expansive, very quick to find gaps and, and you know, find runners in space. Um, you know, we were we looked like we were putting on a clinic and then. The fact that this game ended the way it did is just feels very unfortunate. Like it should have been another Burnley where we just, you know, hang five goals on a team and go home at halftime. Well, it's it, it's it's kind of interesting because 
you know, it's hard to say because of the Basuma sending off really distorts, I think, a lot of this match. But it certainly had the feel of, like you, you guys were saying, like Spurs were playing with their food and are they going to pay for it because they weren't finishing their chances. But, I mean, God, those were, I mean, they were so, I mean, I don't, not clinical, but so thorough, so effective in that opening stretch of the match. And I think that's a real credit to this team because I think Spurs have had some issues with, deep defenses this year. I think even very good teams, very good Spurs teams that we've watched, like under the best Pochettino, they would kind of take about 10 to 15 minutes to really feel their way into a match, and then they would start turning screws on teams. But just the way they went out of the breaks on the road against a team that you know is going to sit back was just, you know, I, I think I've certainly had some concerns about how are we going to handle a defensive setup, and obviously, you know, we, we're going to have that caveat throughout this conversation that Luton is Luton. But still, you know, it's it was encouraging to me to see how well we handled them early on. I mean, I think the thing I would say to pump the brakes on that a bit is Luton are a bad team. That doesn't mean they're a defensive team. Like they are. Yes. Their shape was so chaotic. There were gaps everywhere. Like there was so much space to pass into the whole match. This was not like a well-structured defensive block that we had to break down. It was just a team who didn't know what to do. And You're saying Ross Barkley didn't add defensive solidity to this Luton team? <laughs> yeah, I can't believe he's still playing football. Uh, but yeah. I'm glad well, he finally found No, he was still playing football in England. You know, the craziest thing is he is not the most I can't believe he's still playing football player on Luton as of now because Andrews Townsend signed for them this week. So, wow. Take that for what it's worth. Um I guess before we move on from the opening period, uh, Ben, I'll start with you on this. Did this, what's the best way to put this? Did this heighten your concerns about Richarlison at all, or is it still sort of the same? Because I feel like we're, it, it's reminding me a lot of Soldado in that he is doing a lot of great work off the ball or in transition or build up and just not actually putting the ball in the back of the net. But, I don't know. It's it's like if he'd been a little more on his game, like we like we could have cruised, like you said, Ben, for, you know, like 70 minutes in this match. I guess I will take the charitable view and say I don't think Richarlison is often doing a lot of good things without putting the ball in the back of the net. Uh, That's the charitable view. Yeah. And in this match, he did. Like, I mean, he got four shots. He was in very good positions. You know, he moved the ball pretty well from from that left wing position, he looked like a useful player, even though he didn't score. And, you know, even though he only lasted half the game because of the red card, I thought that was a very encouraging Richarlison half, uh, even though he, you know, couldn't hit the broad side of a barn. Uh, you know, I, he, he is still what he is. It's kind of limited and not sure like where his best fit is. And if he has enough uh, to his game to be effective as either a striker or as a as a wide guy, but you know his last couple appearances have given me some hope that there might be a use for him. I mean, I'm sticking with where I've always been on Charleston, which is I think his goal tally is ultimately going to be disappointing, but I think he does really good work. Especially, I really do like him in that left wing position or that left forward position, whatever we want to call it, and I think he's going to score some goal in some game that like. It's like, that's going to be what we remember him for, and we kind of don't give a shit about the rest of it. But, Brian, do you have any Richarlison thoughts? No, I mean, 
I think my charitable view of him is more charitable than Ben's charitable view. Um, but, you know, I it's one of those things where I, the whole attacking trio is probably still not ideal. And, I mean, you can tell Postacoglu is still, you know, kind of swapping back and forth because of, you know, injuries that he's deal- we're dealing with and, you know, whether – Sonny Richarlison's best position is center or left. Like, there's not a lot settled there. And um, I don't know, maybe just the three of them playing like this for the next stretch of games because we don't really have any other left wingers available it will produce some results. I don't know. I, I think it's really too early to, like, decide if he's useless to us um, based on, you know, six or seven games. I think... I mean, I think what I'd say is, is, you know, we've had this idea of what the profile of an Ange, like, left winger or right winger is supposed to do. And that's, you know, do a lot of beating a man with the ball at his feet, you know, dribbling, breaking into the box, uh, creating opportunities for other people. And, like, we know he's not that guy. But when he was playing as a striker, he wasn't being that guy either. He wasn't getting a lot of shots. He wasn't really impacting games at all. And now, you know... In his last four appearances, in 10 minutes against Sheffield, he had two shots, a goal and an assist. 10 minutes against Arsenal, he had three shots. 90 minutes against Liverpool, he had five shots. 45 minutes against Luton, he had four shots. Like, those are good shot numbers. That's a guy who is starting to get involved in the game and feeling his way into what he can contribute in the system. And, you know, I don't think he's ever going to be a world beater for us, but, like, that's a useful guy if he can get – that many shots for himself and, and the rest and, of the team works to create from that side. Great. And I think, you, you know, you combine that with the work he does off the ball with the, you know, the sort of progression that he does. It's, I think it has been encouraging. It's just hard to ignore. Those are very bad. Like he should have put away three or two. Like, I mean, he it really is like, he needs to finish some of those. Like, like it's one thing that he gets like the ball trapped under his feet against, you know, some of these other teams, but it's like, God, you, you have to score some of these chances. Like, and you know, that'll probably come. I think he is, I think at least for the season, he is our best option by far on the left. And I'm not nearly as sort of anti Brandon Johnson as you are Ben, but like, I do think, like I do think Richarlson just gives us a lot in that. Position. What about Brian Heal? Well, I'm I'm actually really curious about Heal because I I simultaneously think Heal probably isn't good enough for Spurs, but I also think he really fits what Ange wants to do. So I am very curious to see what Heal does. The difference between Heal and Richarlson is I think Richarlson is not going to get like blown up by every defender who tries to knock him off the ball. So. I mean, like, what's the difference between Heal and Manor Solomon at this point? <laughs> Let that wow. man stop. No, no, no. I have to look at comments. We're not going there. Um, I mean, an ability to stay healthy would be the first thing. So, um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I think Heal obviously has a bit of a pedigree coming from Spain. And I think, I think Ange might be the first manager we've had since he came here who might actually know how to use him. And I, I don't know. I, I'm, I am excited. I mean, it's a little bit of like sicko, you know, Spurs fan in me, but I, I am interested to see how Ange uses heel. Cause I think, I think some of the stuff heels done well for us is stuff that Ange is actually going to use as opposed to like Conte or, you know, yeah. Nuno. Yeah. It'll be like a new signing. Yeah, exactly. 
thing about Hill when we signed him was like he was like an effective ball carrier, dribbly winger who had no real end product in a way that looked like a guy from a previous era of football. You know, like a bad Aaron Lennon was like the best you could hope for. Um, and for years, we looked at a, a football system that just had no use for a guy who did any of those things. You know, you need wide forwards to be forwards and score and uh, get a lot of shots. And now we're playing a system that kind of doesn't necessarily require its wide players to be the goal scoring um, elements of the team because you've got, you know, Madison and Saar breaking through for midfield and you can allow for a guy who maybe doesn't have that, that end product in front of goal um, who has those other skills uh, yeah, I think there's a possible new lease on life for Brian. I hope so. We will for see. All <laughs> for all Brian's. <laughs> Brian with a Y, no less. Even. Um, so one thing I did want to ask you guys about this game is, did you guys feel like the Basuma red card was kind of balancing of the karmic scales for Liverpool? Or was what this just scales? actually... Fuck Liverpool. <laughs> like, we did nothing was... wrong. Yeah, no, we didn't, but... Yes. I don't think he gets sent off if Liverpool doesn't happen. I think if this happens three weeks from now, he doesn't get sent off for that. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, like, the he definitely dove. And the first one was definitely a yellow card. So it, we spent it, we spent five minutes when we played was Sheffield. We played Sheffield United. And we spent five minutes talking about how that keeper was just able to time waste for the entire match because he got on the yellow early and there isn't a single referee in England who's going to send someone off for time wasting. I, I just think, I mean, you're absolutely right. That like, that is in a just world, every referee should send a player off for doing what he did. I, I thought it was unbelievably harsh in terms of what actually gets players sent off. Um, he still shouldn't have done it. I don't, I'm not trying to defend him, but like, cause it, it was stupid and obvious and awful, but I, I just like I think if this happens in a month, I don't think he gets sent off for that. I think it was because it happened the week after Liverpool and referees were looking to prove a point. They they wanted to poor, prove to poor Jurgen that they they still have him in their hearts. Um, I don't know. Yeah, they needed to make it clear that the worldwide referee Tottenham conspiracy is uh, is not is not real. Wink. <laughs> Like, oh, we'll show them. We'll send somebody off against Luton. It won't even matter. Yeah. You know, they balance the scales in everybody's eyes so everybody can pretend like the conspiracy isn't real. Um, I mean, but we all know. We, we all, all know that the refs have been putting a thumb on the scale for for Spurs for years. That's why we win so many trophies. We just yeah, exactly. are just an unstoppable force in world football. That's how I mean, we beat how Man City was, in the Champions League. How many years was Nani in... England and he never got sent off for that. Like, you know, it's like, I don't know, man. Like it's, it just felt it. If you say felt, his name again, I'm not going to do that. because <laughs> I've had two glasses of wine already. Uh, anyway, it just felt ridiculous that that happened. And I don't think, I don't think that happens if, it, if, if it's, this game was two or three months from now. So yeah. Uh, let's talk about how we play with 10 men. I think in a weird way, this, like I was thinking back to how we, you know, it was a little strange playing against Liverpool last week with, you know, up one man, one man, and then two men. I think in the grand scheme of things, it might be a good thing that we had to play t- with 10 men for so long in this match. It's just something we sort of have to deal with. But I will say, 
I was impressed that Spurs sort of kept their composure and kept it together and kept pressing. Like I said earlier, like he, I mean, Ange talks about, we don't change the way we play. We attack, we go forward. And they did that. I mean, whatever else you want to say about Spurs in this match, they kept attacking until fairly late in the match when he made those substitutions. I mean, he, Ange is a man who sort of lives by his creed. And that is, that feels unique to me, at least that we just sort of, kept up that much attacking pressure uh, with 10 men, even again, like everything in this podcast, uh, you know, with the caveat that it is Luton. I mean, sort of like we were terrible in the second half. We weren't as good, but we kept trying. I mean, we were terrible. We were trying to like attack. I feel like, I mean, mean, whether or not it worked is another matter, but like they were trying to get up the pitch. They weren't just bunkering in and holding back. Like I think I'd say, you know, we were very fortunate to create the goal that we did the way we did. You know, a good, clever set piece. Madison and Vandeman both did really well to score that goal. But that was a real outlier in those first 20, 30 minutes of that second half. We kept trying to play. You're right. But, like, I think we... We started, even in the first half, started playing very loose, you know, because the gaps were there, because there were opportunities to push forward. We were not playing very smart with the ball. We were forcing it a lot more than we needed to against a team that bad and, you know, turning it over a lot. And in the first half when we had 11 men, it was not punishing us, really. But in the second half, that kind of commitment was not creating any chances for us. It was just kind of aggressively playing the ball back to Luton to let them come at us again. And I mean, they had the lion's share of the chances in the second half. We were very fortunate not to concede a couple of, uh, of times. I really feel like it was the one chance, the, the one that that guy put wide was. Yeah. I mean, there was one where the guy was like on the back post and somehow managed to skew it wide. That was like the chance that we should, yeah. but there were other opportunities that they had. And like, you know, it's telling that the changes that Ange did make were Skip and Emerson for Son and Madison. He brought on Ben Davis. Like, it was a little... Eventually, I just think... It was the 75th minute. It was like, he well, realized, he did realize that, like, you know... At the 75th minute is what I'm saying. Like, for how, you know... Yeah, but we were lucky until then. Yeah, it was still... I just, I'm just impressed that we were, like, going at him. And again, it's Luton. But, I mean, this was an attacking performance, which, you know, like, I, I think, I mean, God, we've lived through, like, three years of football where, like, you know, we could play with all 11 men for the entire match and we wouldn't attack teams like this. So, yeah, I mean, it just was nice to to see the commitment to it, whether or not it was executed particularly well in the second half, you know, whatever. I I kind of tend to agree with Ben that, you know, after the goal, we don't really create much the rest of that game i think i think the xg reflects that as well i mean you know most of it ours comes from the richarlison chances and then the van de van goal uh you know i think we we just we're possession team now and it's so weird to see us just having our center backs inch further and further up the pitch, even when we're down a man, like, you know, Van de Ven and Romero are both making runs into the box. Like it's very weird stuff, but it, uh, I, I'm, I agree with Greg. It's very exciting to see them do this stuff. 
Yeah, it's encouraging. I mean, even I though it's crazy. Yeah, well, I mean, especially because it's crazy, right? We love. Yeah. We love that stuff. We w- we used to love when Vertonghen was like goal hunting in the last, you know, 15, 20 minutes of a match. Now we have both center backs doing it the entire match. Isn't that exciting? Look, we've had stupid, like, but exciting. We've had like three permanent managers in a row lie to us about how committed they are to attacking football, and now we have a manager who, like, if you didn't believe it before, you're. I think you're going to believe it after this match. Who is like actually committed to attacking football and we i think we saw it on you know whatever the hell well, you know two weeks ago whenever the fuck this game was but um you know it was just encouraging to me to see that we just we kept trying we kept going at it and i think brian's right we did draw back a little bit after we finally got our goal but still you know it's it's just it was it was an impressive performance i thought considering that we went down to 10 men and then we didn't just sort of retreat into ourselves and kick it long and hope we could run into it. Um, I mean, I guess I would say I I would feel a lot better about that commitment to ideals if we looked remotely good doing it, but we didn't and we were lucky not to get punished for it. I mean, you know, you look at the way Liverpool played against us with 10 men or played against Newcastle with 10 men, like you can still get out there and like, like Liverpool kind of whipped our ass for a minute when they only had 10 men. And we were not capable of doing something like that. And like, you know, yeah, and I, we're still in a learning period. Like this is a thing we have to, you know, a lesson we have to learn, a thing we have to practice, but like, it's not there yet. And, and, and I think that's where I think having a game like this, where admittedly we sort of made it out alive, you know, got out with three points is, you know, makes it maybe a little more positive than you would think in the abstract, but, you know, having you know, much like playing up a man against Liverpool. Okay. Well, you know, Ange hasn't been here that long. Now we've got a little bit more experience sort of playing in these scenarios, which is, you know, maybe a positive. Maybe maybe this match would have gone a lot better if it was just 11. I mean, I'm sure it would have gone a lot better if it was just 11 v. 11 for the entire 90 minutes. But, you know, I mean, there's probably something positive about getting that experience under our belt and, you know, just knowing how to play that way now, or at least having, having had to play that way for now. Yep, and the important thing is, we're top of the table, and this season they've decided it's only going to be eight games long, and so the trophy should be heading our way uh, shortly, I think. I mean, the ceremony's yeah. Friday? Yep. Yeah, exactly. Friday. Between, like, Kane leaving and Arsenal almost winning the title last year, I think, like, or, well, finishing second last year, they didn't almost win the title, but you know what I mean. Like, there's not going to be a funnier year for Spurs to win the title than this year. So I think we should do that uh, because it would be extremely funny if we won it this year. Uh, I, I don't know. I think we should focus on finishing fifth. Yeah, that could, Brian, that's the kind of level-headed analysis we bring you on here for. Got to keep our expectations level. I mean, I don't know. I don't expect us to win the league. I just, we're going to. So. We're going to. Oh, you know. I understand. No, that's an important distinction. I, I, I noted. I am... Um, I don't know. I, I, I feel like I saw today there was like an XG table. I think we're like fifth or something in the XG table compared to like the league table. But I don't know, man. Like when you're working on vibes, like it, I, none of that shit matters to me. It's like we. I just feel like we've been so entertaining and so good this year. And I feel like we've really been growing into it in a way where, you know, even when you get lucky, it just feels, I don't know, it feels so 
good. Like I think there's an important caveat to that XG table that was sent out by the Premier League's Twitter account. Uh, they don't know what XG is, and so the <laughs> XG table that they tweeted was inclusive of penalties, which is just not a meaningful or predictive kind of element to the XG total. In the oh, actual sure. Arsenal fan. In the non-penalty XG table, we're third, and Arsenal are, like, seventh. Uh, but when you include penalties, Arsenal shoots up to, like, first, and we <laughs> drop down to fifth. So if we're only looking at real goals that count, then we're doing fine. Yeah, absolutely. And there's no analytics that measure vibes. Like, if there was an X-Vibes table, we'd have wanted it already. Yeah. I mean, it's it's truly incredible. Like, it's just, the vibes are unmatched. And, you know, like, Arteta, uh, while he's, like, retweeting, you know, whatever, like, you know, turf, ridiculous, like, pro Rubialis nonsense that he had. Like, he just can't equal Ange. And it's got to eat Arsenal fans up inside. Yeah. I mean, I don't think they think about it a lot. I mean, I think that's a choice they're making. I mean, they've got their heart and their brain holding hands, and they're happy. Obscuring the midfielder who might be charged (laughs) with things that we're not going to talk about. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Before we move entirely off this game, I think if there is a player I want to discuss, and I'm not sure this is his best performance of the season, but he scored a goal, so I think it's worth mentioning, is uh, Van Devent. I think... He's been incredible, and I think that was a really good goal, which it's kind of funny that his first goal for the club wasn't off a header, considering he is, like, 60 feet tall. But, I mean, what a player. I I feel like we all were kind of expecting him to take a year or two to bet in, but, I mean, he automatically is just, I don't know. It feels like Spurs have one of the best defenses in the league right now, and he's a huge reason for it. Yeah, we do have one of the best defenses in the league. Um, No, I... He's the kind of defender that we've been saying we needed to sign since Vertonghen, like, was over the hill. And, you know, uh, he he's just absolutely perfect for this system. Um, and he, he still has some mistakes in him, like, and he's still not great at, like, lateral quickness or turning. But, you know, I... His pace has gotten him out of so many jams this year. I think he he had one in this match against Luton. You know, he catches up on uh, Gakpo, I think it is, in the Liverpool match. And, you know, he he's really good. And I don't think many of us really expected this level from him. Um, you know, we knew he had one season with Wolfsburg where he was had been pretty good. But I don't I don't know that even people that were watching the Bundesliga more than us thought he was at this level. I mean, when we, when we were linked with him this summer, there was the one highlight of him running down a guy and it was just that one highlight. And you're like, okay, I mean, yeah, that's a really good highlight, but but like, is that it? Is that like, has he done anything other than that? And the answer is no, he just does that all the time, constantly. And And it's really fun. That's fucking amazing. And you don't need him to do anything else. Um, you know, but he is also like extremely composed on the ball and happy to carry the ball out of defense um, very comfortably. Uh, his one-on-one defending when he isn't running at top speed, 45 yards um, from behind somebody is also good. But 
it's that thing you see like four or five times a game and it's just like spectacular. Well, I think, you know, because when we saw that video or when we thought about it, I think there's this tendency to think about it in terms of like, oh, well, he's a moron and he has to use this to like cover up for his deficiencies. But I think what you could see is he understands how to utilize his speed. Like, so yeah, maybe he has some deficiency. I mean, to me, it always looks like he is sort of learning in the Liverpool game in particular. It looked like he is sort of learning the pace of the premier league and adjusting to it. But what I find impressive is he understands how to use that speed. And it's not just, a, it's not a crutch, if that makes any sense. And it, it's like a tool he understands how to use. And I think there is a difference with that. And he's just been such a revelation because I think we were all um, a little disappointed when we got him instead of that guy from uh, Leverkusen. But he's just been, I, I mean, like Brian said, just the kind of defender we've been crying out for for four or five years now, however long it's been since Vertonghen kind of fell off a cliff. And, you know, now if you can add that he's got finishing in his locker because I thought that was a really nice quality finish on that set piece in this match, you know, that's another, you know, thing we kind of needed in the box. So I don't know, just a really good signing that looks better every week. Yeah. And I mean, I've never seen or have only rarely seen an athlete that is so clearly traveling in a lower gear and then shifts up and accelerate. Like it's, it's very interesting to see him sort of loping back and then him go, okay, run now. And you're just like, Oh, where did that come from? Like, and I think of, you know, like old Bo Jackson clips, who's an American football player for anybody that doesn't know. And he has moments like that where he's going very slowly and just kind of jogging almost. And then just all of a sudden, a lane opens up and he bursts past everybody. And that's kind of what Van Deven looks like. He has like the big broad shoulders, like old school Bo Jackson. Like it's, it's really fun to watch. So like Bo Jackson, what second sport should Van Deven also pick up? Uh, I mean, he's got like uh, a face for like team handball or water polo. Really? You're looking at, like, a, a once-in-a-generation athlete and you're making him play water bowl? Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's how things happen. Maybe swimming. He's tall. Maybe he can swim. Horrible. I regret asking this question. What do you want him to do, steeplechase? Now, now you know what it's like to be me, Ben. Um, yeah, I. sorry, I'll never ask a stupid question again. A lesson learned. There you go. <laughs> uh, there are, in fact, stupid answers. Yeah, and I, I think... Uh, the other side of Van de Ven, getting back to the topic at hand, aside from his steeplechasing ability, is um, is jealous. I, I I I think you could really see the difference he made with Romero. It feels like we have like a genuine partner with him back there, and they've really meshed well together in a way that I mean I don't know. Romero is like an excellent defender, so he could probably adjust to anyone. But they really seem to complement each other well in a way that. You know, I might have, in the abstract, assumed Romero needed a veteran next to him to kind of calm him down. But, you know, that we have him, you know, Van de Ven's so composed, like you said, that it kind of all works because he can cover for Romero. And also he just doesn't get sort of 
you know, wound up or twisted or anything. It's just, it's just been really nice to see back there, especially after like the sort of the shit show we had at the end of last year in particular. I mean, we've talked about it, but like Romero's playing incredibly composed. He's not flying off the handle. He's not doing a lot of rash, dumb shit. He looks like the mature leader back there. Uh, not a guy who needs his hand held by, you know, lovely King or something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how, how successful do these guys need to be before you start looking at them and going, they're on the same level as Alderweireld and Vertonghen? I mean, already I mean, better. Do this for a year or two? Like I don't know. Like it's, I, because I, I think that's the man. best defensive pairing. Yes. that we've kind of had. You know, I. King and Dawson, I guess maybe, but even those teams weren't as good as. Yeah, one of them was Michael Dawson. <laughs> yeah. Well, well no, like Michael Dawson could ping those diagonals, but Alderweireld could do that better, and he could like body anyone in the Premier League if he felt like it. So it's you know. But this is kind of what like those era of teams felt like, where you're just like, okay, well those two are starting at the back, so we don't have to worry about that. You know, now we have we can worry about all the other problem areas on the team, and that's that's not a way that we thought we would feel uh, this summer. You know, we yeah, we, I think I think the most impressive thing about the Spurs team is as it's as it's sort of built right now, and you guys might disagree with me on this is like when you talk about well, how do you improve this Spurs team, and if we're gonna like keep this within the realm of like you know a realistic budget that Spurs might be dealing with, I think that discussion very quickly goes into backups and you know i think that starts with the defense and sort of moves up the field i think you know we could talk about left wing we could talk about the midfield but maybe even center forward if you want but honestly i feel like it just it very quickly goes into depth i don't any of sort of expected to be talking about this spurs roster in that way this quickly yeah Yeah. i mean the depth thing you know to get typical Spurs fan with it is like the depth scares the shit out of me because yes. you know, the way Especially in which the, Van Der Ven, you know, the kinds of things that he does so well for us are just irreplaceable and there will be a game that he misses. And I don't know how we could possibly play the kind of football that we play without him back there able to make, you know, 45 yard runs, just chewing up ground on guys eight times a game like it's just it's just not viable uh i have no idea how eric dyer or you know whoever else we have on this roster compensates for that it's just it's terrifying i mean they clearly made a calculation this year especially in defense where it's like we're not playing in europe we are gonna fucking man we've got i i feel it feels like three realistic first choice defenders plus Davies and Dyer. And, you know, they, they're clearly addressing that in another transfer window. But, you know, it's it's just, like I said, I, I'm surprised how quickly when you're talking about upgrading the Spurs team, it's like that's where the conversation goes. Well, what happens if this guy's out? What happens if that guy's out? I don't think any of us thought that's where we would be, you know. With him specifically. Or with him specifically. But honestly, a lot of this roster, like, I mean – you know, like I think improving on SAR, especially within sort of the budget constraints we expect this team to operate on, I think that's tough. I think improving on Son is tough. Richarlson, if you want to sort of talk about that, I think sort of like a star left winger is really where you could upgrade this team immediately. 
But like fullback, poor Pedro Poro, like, you know, it just gets it gets really hard to be like, where's this team going to get? Everyone's so good. But they're all playing really so true. well. We're awesome. We're going to win the league. It's great. But I don't think any of us expected this, you know, this conference. I mean, we, you know, we're top of the league. It's the middle of October. Like, it's fucking crazy, guys. <laughs> like, this is so refreshing. Like, last year we were in like third place right now. And we all felt like the bottom was about to fall off, or certainly I did. Like, you know, you were hoping that they would figure something out, but that felt like a radical change that just wasn't likely. I mean, this is just like, this feels like a pretty good team that is probably going to be a little bit better. And, you know, I think they're going to have to find ways to upgrade, but that's like, again, this falls into sort of the good problems to have category of things to talk about. Yeah. So um, on the depth issue, I, I did want to mention. Wait up, wait up, bring us down, Brian. I yeah, you're welcome. Uh, I wanted to talk about Alejo Velez because um, he's getting to play, I think, when Postacoglu basically said we weren't going to see him for a few months for him to, you know, acclimate and, and uh, get used to being in England. And uh, he could have scored a goal there at the very end, and I really wish he had. Um, I I really like this kid. Like he's just kind of a big goober, and I don't know if he's a good footballer, but I think he's I think uh, he's really funny. Well, it seems with Velez that it's 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 like for whatever he needs to acclimate, like his role is to be like a large man in the box who can head shit. Or maybe, you know, kick it. But, like, really, it's like, be a big guy in the box. And that's sort of the long and short of your responsibilities. And they just seem to have resigned. I don't say resigned themselves to that. But, they're like, they're fine with that. Um, that, you know, they're, what, they're, what they're asking of him doesn't seem to be terribly complicated. Yeah, I mean, I mean he's also, like, what, 18 years old? So, yes, you know, yes. plenty of time for him to develop or whatever. But, like... I, I find it very interesting that he's come in and is like at least getting considered for, you know, one or two minutes. Like that's that's uh, impressive for us to have young players in the mix like that. So he's 20, but he has gotten a couple minutes in a couple games. And that is fun. And, you know, I think it's interesting because I think we all went into the season expecting Richarlison to be our first choice striker and we're going to just hope for the best. And now he's probably our third choice striker. Like I think we would probably start Feliz up top instead of him. If Sun got hurt and Richarlison. I don't agree with that, but I don't know. I I understand the point. If not now, like soon, like I think the fact that he is already getting those opportunities limited though, they may be, uh, you know, seems like they're, is utility in having that big lump of a presence in the box to just kind of be there and occupy defenders and let the, the team work around that. Do you uh, think that's how impressed they are with him, Ben, or do you think that's just down to how thin the options are? I mean, again, we had, you know, Brian Heal and Lo Celso on the bench, and they did not get minutes in that game. You know, so it's not like he was the only attacking option we had available to us. It was the one we chose to throw on there. Uh, and against Liverpool and against Luton. So, I, I, I don't know. I mean, you're right. It could just be it's one minute. Who fucking cares? Let this kid get some experience running around on a Premier League football pitch. But I don't know. I think it, it speaks to to faith 
from from Big Ange in Big Belize that <laughs> just big boy to big boy. Big boy solidarity it. is real, yeah. and that's uh, what's going to happen. I think the thing is, is that you know, like Ben said, like there's not there's not a really super clear hierarchy here. Like he could be the second choice striker, and I think what's interesting is that if he were to suddenly go on a hot finishing streak like where he gets a couple of sub goals we're we're that far away from people calling for him to start all the time like that's just kind of the position and i don't know you know that's probably reflects very poorly on our depth overall and you know well, the, our options but it's at least i i think one of the sort of under discussed things about Ange this year is that you know he is quick trigger finger might be the wrong way to put it but he is sort of leaned into who he thinks is the better player. And it's, you know, like SAR is getting minutes over skip. We're playing Sun through the middle at the expense of, at least in a, a few games ago at the expense of Richarlson. Um, you know, he is not afraid to, you know, like Van Devan is getting starts over much more experienced players, you know, you know like, like Dyer is exiled to the bench. You know, he is not playing Emerson as was right back. Like, he has made some like big bets on some guys this year and, you know, putting Valise in, like you were saying, Ben, over some other attacking options we had on the bench. It's, you know, it's, it's maybe that speaks well as to what we're doing with Valise, but I think it is something you're seeing Ange do is he's making some big bets on some guys that he thinks can make a difference, even if they don't, I mean, pedigree is the wrong word, but even, even if they don't have, um, You know, even if they don't have um, the sort of experience that you would expect there. Yep. Yeah, and I think, you know, we talked about, like, not having a star left winger as, like, the obvious place to upgrade. If some miracle happens and Belize is, like, really good, we can put him up top and Sun back to left wing. That's kind of solved your attack in-house without making any changes. Maybe Brian Hill's the guy and maybe, you know, uh, Brendan Johnson's the guy, but like, it's nice to have another guy you can dream on as giving us a new dimension and like being able to structure that front line in a way that is as elite as, you know, we, we had very recently and isn't, you know, the weak part of a team carried by its center backs. Um, I want to use, Another thing that happened this week, uh, or in, in the international break, I guess, um, to talk about a specific player, even if I think the loot match is maybe not the best time to talk about him, but Son won Player of the Month um, for the month of September, I guess. Yeah, um, September. Uh, how are you guys feeling about Son playing up the middle? I, I am very encouraged by it. Um, this is the second straight month that a Tottenham player has won Player of the Month. It is the second straight month that Ange has won Manager of the Month, which shows what he thinks of curses. But how are you feeling about Son as our center forward? Brian? Great. I mean, I don't know. It's working out fine. I, I think we all talked about it in the in the beginning of the season where, you know, you were either in camp, Richarlison can do this, or you were in camp, no, he can't, put Son in the middle. And um, I through the first seven, eight games, the – Everybody was right. Richarlison couldn't, and Son is better through the middle. And, you know, he's just in this position where he's able to do all the kind of strikery things that he is capable of doing as a left forward, but 
Um, now he's in even better positions when he picks up the ball. Um, I think, you know, the the most interesting part of it for me this year is to see that the, how much better the interplay between him and the midfielders has been. Um, just because, you know, under Conte, his touch looked like it was gone. And, you know, we don't really know how much of that was the injury issues or the extra running before matches or, or what the deal was. But, like... He's just looked so much more technically astute in Ange's system. And, like, it's designed to get the center forward easy opportunities and, and chances in behind. And those are the types of things he thrives on. And uh, well, I think that's a good point in terms of getting him involved because I think as center forward, he's doing a little bit less of that, which is what the system's asking. When we were playing him on the left early in the season, I, I think one of the most noteworthy things about that was he was really involved in the play and moving the ball around the final third in a way that, I mean, I, mean, I don't know if we've ever asked him to do. I mean, and I was really impressed by the way he was adapting to it. But um, Ben, you look like you have something to say. No, uh, I was just thinking about our, you know, former former co-host Michael Cayley joked, you know, that like, oh, you know, a center forward is a real it's a tactical position that requires more than just scoring goals. You have to do a lot of other things and yada, yada, yada. And, you know, the dumb guy opinion is, no, the guy who scores goals plays center forward. It's that simple. And, you know, it's right. In this case, the dumb guy opinion is absolutely what's working for this team right now. Is Son is the guy who can fucking stick the ball in the back of the net, and he is the guy who belongs up top doing just that. Because even though he was, like you said, playing impressively from the left wing, he knows how to strike the fuck out of a ball and put it in the back of the net. And he's he doing understands that. geometry. That's right. <laughs> big, big geometer. Uh, a geometer wow a geometrist a geometrist oh wow geometrician geometrician take take my title for me there ben um yeah no he's been i mean i i think that's the thing about son that does lend him to that like whatever else is going on he's a clinical finisher i mean he's probably underrated as one of the best finishers in world football over the last like seven eight years and god it's just been fun to watch it's so nice to see like it felt like he fell off a cliff last year and it's just nice to see that he's back and it really was just an injury he's yeah. been so good i think one of the things that he was particularly bad about last year was turning under pressure like he would get the ball with his back to defenders and just turn it over time and time again and that's a really important skill set for your for your striker to have is to be able to play back to goal hold up the ball and and then turn and he has managed to do that a little bit better, but mostly just avoid doing that as a technique. You know, he is, he gets the ball and when he receives under pressure, he is very quick to find Madison, find Sar, find Kulishevsky or someone around him and then roll off the shoulder and then move into space and like be there for a return ball. He's not, I think when we were asking him to play wide, you know, we were actually asking him to do that way more in terms of like he had to be the guy and carry the ball up the field to progress it. And now he's just able to do the thing he does best, which is find space and take shots. Um, and he's just playing that role very effectively. Yeah. And I, I mean, think this, 
Go ahead. Sorry. Well, I was just going to say, I think, you know, like Ben was saying, the criticism of him without of not being able to turn, it's now he's in a system where he is less isolated. He has more players that are actually pushing forward into the attack. It's not just him and Harry Kane every time, you know. So so I think by by him having those options to play little one-twos with or, or you know, to try a back heel to a runner in behind, like now he at least has those options. And and I think, you know, him and Madison specifically have both just really embraced kind of uh, the system and the interplay that they have to do together. And it, it's worked out really, really well. Well, him and Madison, too. I think that's been, you know, just such a great partnership. And him coming off a of king, you know, it's I mean, it's no surprise that he can sort of link up with another creative player like that. But it's been so crucial that we're not just asking him to carry the entire load and, you know, going back to what you were saying, Ben, about the way he sort of attacks the ball, it's 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 just one thing that I like about and just that he's not he's not just keep, he he doesn't try to keep fitting square pegs in round holes. He's finding what works for guys. I think you're seeing it with Richarlson too right now. It's like, okay, well, you play well on the left and you do all these things that work really well and you're gonna create shots. Let's put you over there. It's not, you know, and it kind of worked for a while under Conte because Son was on such a hot finishing streak. But, like, he's not just going to be like, well, this is how I play. This is how I need you to do these things that you're probably not all that good at. So we're going to keep fucking this chicken until it works. You know, it's, you know, he's he's finding ways to sort of deploy these guys in situations where they're going to succeed. And it's, frankly, refreshing to watch. And also, he doesn't hate us as Spurs and so, um, you know, but it's it's really, I mean, Son is a legend, and he's probably one of the best Spurs players we'll ever see. And he certainly loves us more than Harry Kane ever did. So it's really nice to see him thriving in this role, because um, this is a fun team, and having him sort of at the epicenter of that feels, it feels right, it feels good, and I'm glad it's happening. Yeah, I think, honestly, that's a really important point, because we were going into this season kind of wondering, does Sun really even have a role in this team? And for Charleston is obviously the number nine because he has that kind of strength and back to goal and hold up play and, you know, all the things a striker needs to do. And Sun doesn't have the, you know, beat a man dribbling technique and we're going to replace him with Brennan Johnson. Uh, it's going to be sad to see this sort of, guy never get the chance to be the talisman for this team in the way that he deserves. Um, and that is just not what's happened at all. Like this just feels so much like the sun team in a complimentary way, not like we depend on sun, but just his influence from his personality to his performances on down just seems to be just the heartbeat of everything that's happening right now. And it's, it's just so wonderful because he deserves that. I think Spurs fans should really, and this is going to sound weird, because I don't think there's a lot of Spurs fans who don't appreciate Son, but I think you should really appreciate what you're watching right now, because I think, I've been thinking about this a lot, and obviously some of this is driven by bitterness and me trying to get over it, but Son gets what it is to be the guy at a club in a way. I don't know if Kane ever did, and I don't, Kane's obviously an excellent professional, and is obviously the best player that we've ever seen at Spurs. But, like, just all the little things Son's doing this year. I mean, you combine that with his obvious talent. And 
I think it's something that's really special. And I think he understands, you know, I've been very, very dismissive in, you know, my however many years of soccer fandom and and being a Spurs fan of what the captaincy means. But I think Son gets it in a way that as a Spurs fan, as a U.S. men's national team fan, I feel like I've seen very few players sort of get it. It's just, you know, normally it seems like a mark of respect, but like, you know, Son seems to really understand and appreciate what it means. Like, I am the leader of this team. I am, like, you know, it is my responsibility to make this team as successful as it is, and I have a responsibility to not only my teammates but the fans. And I think you're really seeing that this year, not only in his play but the way he's interacted with sort of everyone involved with the club, whether they're on the team or in the, or in the stands. And I think it's, it's, it's something that's really special, and I think we shouldn't take it for granted. Because I don't think Kane ever fully appreciated the fandom aspect of it. And I might be reading and projecting all sorts of things into that. And if I am, you guys can call me an idiot. But I think it is something special that we're watching with Son as our captain. Yeah, I mean, we're really lucky to just have him in general. He's such a he's a wonderful player, a beautiful soul. Like, yeah. you know, I, I think, you know, you like having guys like Deli Alley, who everybody, like, hates but it's also kind of nice to have a guy who everybody loves. Like anybody you talk to an Arsenal, Arsenal fan or psychotic fan Arsenal whatever. fans are very weird about Sun. So not everybody, but yes. Okay. It's, you never have a universal, but it's like a guy who everybody is kind of just like, yeah, this guy is great and wonderful. And I hate your team, but I have nothing bad to say about Sun. And, you know, Kane, you know, maybe there was an agenda about him that was frankly psychotic from a lot of uh, English people in particular, but uh, that's neither here nor there. It is just nice, it's just the the universal loving for a guy who couldn't deserve it more. Yeah, and I mean, I think it's just always interesting that that he's so beloved by his teammates. Like everything around in the team just kind of centers around him now. And I don't know. You know, I don't know how much of it is a is a is a choice of his because he's like, oh, I'm the captain and I need to do things like this, or how much of it is just like this is how he's always been. Um, but the last few years have really sucked, and so we haven't gotten to see it. Um, but uh, you know, the moment with him, you know, pushing Richarlison towards the Sheffield United fans, or you know, Saar giving interviews and talking about how how important Son was to integrating him into the team, and you know, like. Whatever the case may be, like he has made himself so integral to the way we play and to the the just kind of the ethos behind the club. He's always been everybody's best friend. Yeah. And now seeing him be everybody's best friend in a leadership capacity and not like stop being everybody's best friend because he's like the boss on the pitch, you know, and just right hand in the in the dressing room. He's still everybody's best friend, and that's how he's leading. And it's, it's there's crazy. there was something about when he scored. I think it was his second goal against Arsenal this year. Um, that was the geometry goal, Ben. If you're keeping if you're keeping track at home, uh, but when he scored a second goal against Arsenal, and he just again, this is such a dumb thing, and I'm sure they're not thinking about this as much as I am right now. But like you know, the way it just feels like he always is like. It's like he celebrates with his team and then he starts celebrating with the fans. He's like, you know, he's like trying to pump them up after the goal. And that just feels 
so different from what we've had. You know, I always felt like Kane very much kept the fans that are removed. And that's like, I'm not judging. I mean, I am judging him for it. But, like, that's his right, and that is what it is. And, frankly, he doesn't owe me anything. But the way that Son interacts with his fans feels so special and unique to me that I just can't help but appreciate And it's like, you know, this is going to sound dumb, but as someone who's trying to indoctrinate his son, his actual son, into fandom, into Spurs fandom, you know, it's it's like – that's the guy I want my kid to look at and understand what it means to be a Tottenham player. And I don't know. It's really nice. It's really enjoyable. And I'm happy that it's working out because I think Son is the guy. Son signed a long-term extension with us when we hired Nuno Espirito Santo as our head coach. So, like, that that man clearly loves us in a way that we don't deserve. And it's just wonderful to see it working out the way that it is. And uh, this is, again, maybe not the match to talk about that in, because I think he was fairly anonymous against Luton. And these are the kind of games that I feel like he might be a little anonymous in. But he has had an excellent start to the season, and I'm very happy to see it. Amen. Amen. Yeah, on that note, I think it's time to move on. We have one question that I, I, I Ben, I think you were extremely eager to address on the podcast uh this comes from rob dirks on twitter he wants to know which one of us uh is uh, by us i mean the, those of us on the podcast is most likely to get into a fight and he is of course specifying in the real world not on twitter uh ben do you want to start us off on this yeah i mean i think this is a an easy question with an easy I answer easy. i don't think it's that easy so it's pretty think, easy look i think i okay, think there are higher like I think it depends in, in, in important ways. I think I will admit I am probably the most likely guy on the podcast to start a fight with somebody. Certainly. Uh, I will probably be the guy who gets drunk and throws a punch. I think Greg is without a doubt the guy most likely to get punched. What are you talking about? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I think Greg is a person who has no filter for his opinions in a public space. And it's called courage, not read Ben. Maybe you should try it. Very well. Uh, but I think for all of that, if a fight actually happened, Brian is the one who would actually win a fight. And so for that, we are all grateful. Yeah. I mean, I disagree with that specific portion of it. Um, but Brian, yeah. There's a lot of corn just floating around your general body so you know yeah no that is that is true that does yeah, provide corn and snow are the fuel that you need to to you know when i throw a punch and then greg gets knocked out someone's got to finish this yeah. that's what you're here for exactly no i understand um yeah i i agree with ben uh that uh that greg is the most likely to get in a fight um, I think we're all underrating Ben's <laughs> abilities to get into a fight. So, you know, I just want to be very clear about this. <laughs> yeah, Show I your mean, work. I just feel I, ben, like <laughs> I've like known you for a decade now. Like, I'm pretty confident that you're very willing to get into fights at bars. So. What's that tweet, though, about the guy who's um, his friend always starts fights, starts shit with people. And then he's because he's short. He's like, hey, I'm just a little guy. <laughs> I, I feel I like that's my birthday. Tall. Thank I'm a you birthday yeah. boy. Yeah, I feel like that's bad. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. I am a little birthday boy. Right. Yeah. Come but on. uh but but Greg just has a big punchable dumb face. So <laughs> it's not that. It's that I have no filter. <laughs> no, nah, it's the face too. Okay, fuck you. <laughs> 
Because no. Ben doesn't have a filter, and he doesn't on. get punched. Ben has more of a filter than me sometimes. It's true. You regret asking this question now, Greg? I do. I do regret. I, I regret a lot what I do on this podcast, mostly pronouncing names that I haven't said in a while, but you know. Yeah, you know, and I think when we were in Lisbon, I think you were closest to getting in a fight. You were the most offended. Look, 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 you were the one that was most offended about being offered drugs. I thought, what? <laughs> I can't believe they do that here on the street. I, I, I should believe they do that. I, don't think I, I should tell someone. No, nah, it's fine. Killer. Don't worry about it. Don't involve yourself. Anyway. Yeah. Greg is definitely most likely to pick a fight with the drug dealer. <laughs> yeah. All, no, yeah. Fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. We all know Wendy was polishing off the lead pipe that he was just looking at the back of Ben's head and waiting. He, for the right he did have a flat cap on. So. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. He, he's a hooligan. He, he's, you know. he is a peaky blinder, I think is the right term. So. On that note, I think it's time to wrap it up. Uh, ben, where can people find you on the <laughs> uh, You can find me on Twitter, and I guess Blue Sky, at Comrade U Spurs. Brian, where can uh, people pick a fight with you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Brian underscore Ashlock. That's Brian with a Y. And you can also find me on Blue Sky, but this time no underscore. Just Brian underscore. Or, damn it. Just Brian <laughs> Ashlock. No underscore. There's no underscore. I've gotten so used to saying it. So close, so close. I almost, I almost did it, guys. You can uh, find me on Twitter at Skipjack0079, and you can find me on Blue Sky at just plain old Skipjack. I'm just at Skipjack on Blue Sky. So for Ben, for Brian, uh, of course, uh, for Brett Rainbow, I've been your host, Greg. Uh, come on, you Spurs, and enjoy your lunch. <laughs>